Hi, I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF Podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. Hi listeners, Scott Fitzpatrick here with another episode of the GAF, Great Advisory Frameworks or greatest all-time stuff-ups. I'm really happy to have Vince Fitzsimons here with me today. Vince is a long-time colleague and mentor in many respects, and, you know, we're just trying to work out whether he's had 20, 30, or 40 years as a Deloitte's partner. Welcome, Vince. Good to have you here, mate. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, it's um, those numbers are fine. I don't need to actually do how many years, but... 87 was when I started as a, well, when I was um, promoted to partner, but I started earlier back in 1979 as a grad straight out of school working part-time with a smaller firm, Wallace McMullen Smale, which then a few years later merged into Dewsbury's where I became a partner and then 92 was into Deloitte and that was the rest of my professional career at at that sort of full-time level. And I think you you did floated between the Parramatta and Sydney offices in Deloitte. Uh, only very late when I had a uh, more uh, a role helping those those offices uh, merge. When I went through, I was just a full line partner till probably the late nineties. Then I started running New South Wales nationally from a private client perspective. Then I went on to the national exec for the whole of the country in the private space in two thousand, and I was uh, uh, on that exec for a bit over seven years. And then, then I was working more across offices in terms of strategy for growth and things like that. Great. It just reassured me I'm talking to the right guy now around this whole private wealth space and private client space. And, you know, the guy who's seen it all over the last number of years in what's happening in that space. I'm really keen to understand with you or get your view on what's going on in the accounting world. And, you know, let's start with uh, the big four uh, they've gone into wealth advice in the past. Some have done it okay. Some have done it not so successfully. And where do you see this wealth advisory piece in those big four? I see it. Obviously, it's critical in terms of the suite of uh, how you serve a client. But does it fit within the walls of those organisations? Uh, no, I don't think it does. Um, and there's a you know, suite of reasons for that. It's very similar to the when the banks and some of the other financial institutions put their toe in there. I think the probably probably the essence of it is most advisors think of themselves as, as being quite independent, and it creates a conflict when you have advice being given at a high level and then you're implementing at a lower level around uh, wealth creation because sometimes you just can't avoid tripping over that conflict issue. And I think, therefore, it's better to find complementary partners outside the four walls of, of the firm rather than inside the firm. And that, that's not to say you can't separate them, like, with different, with, with firewalls and various things, but it, it generally doesn't work. And the, the, I'm interested to explore that a little bit further, Vince, but also I know the big four sort of seem to fluctuate, and that, and that could be wrong, right or wrong, between looking after private clients or not, even from a tax <laughs> and advice point of view. Is that is that yeah. a fair comment? 
It, it is. Um, I think they've gone further away from it. Recent past, a uh, whole lot of reasons have caused that. Um, obviously, the the issue around those conflicts and what can go wrong is a significant risk. Uh, of course. They don't want to be on the front page of the financial review or the, you know, whatever paper might be on the news for having caused issues for clients. So they very much want that independence and objectivity so they don't need to be involved at that sort of level. That's one good reason. I think also um, they're, they're more concerned about the, the corporate end of the world and the extent to which they can marshal their resources. So consulting is just huge in these firms now. And the market for that around the corporate market and also government market, government's just massive in that space. So the resources and the executive time is really focused on those areas and therefore the smaller clients don't tend to be as important. The other thing is if you don't have from the, the CEO down, as I said, I was on the Deloitte exec, the national exec, so I was at the same level as the guy who ran audit, tax, consulting, et cetera. If you don't have that CEO buy-in and the national exec buy-in, uh, again, it gets treated as just down the line. So I think you need that level of buy-in. And these days, they, they just don't have that level of interest. That's not to say there aren't clients in these firms, but they would tend to be served out of perhaps tax or one of the other major structural service lines rather than in a dedicated group, which we did have at Deloitte. And then I think uh, also there's the talent pool that you're trying to marshal to service those clients becomes difficult too. It does, and, and, and often people will start in the, in the private space. Opportunity comes up in corporate advisory or, you know, big tax, if you call it that, on the, on the, uh, the more corporate side, and you do lose people that way. Um, and there's also sometimes there's a push to um, give people wide experience. So you'll have someone work with you for a period of time, six months, 12 months, and then they transition to audit or somewhere else and you lose them and you're going through the same process. So, yeah, it is hard to get people to want to live in the space and stay in the space, no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. And what do you see the future of accounting? Vince, what are you seeing out there? What are the themes that you see starting to run through smaller ah. boutique practices? Yeah, I don't... Obviously, the biggest change is, is in technology, how you deliver... The, the core services to your clients. And that is amazing how much that's changed. You know, the interaction between a client and the, and the, the accountant is just so different now. I mean, clients have access to their accounts online. Accountants have access back into their systems. It's totally integrated in many cases. The information you can draw out in terms of analysis is, is just so much better than it used to be. So technology is, to me, the big difference. But otherwise, I think that the substance of the, of the service offering, putting aside the delivery of, of those sorts of things, really hasn't changed. And if you feel it has, then I think you're missing the reality of what the client wants. And as I've said to you before, I think of it, and I was very lucky to study uh, how the dynamics of organisations work quite a bit outside Deloitte. You know, we, we as an exec used to go to places like Harvard and study and to Chicago, Northwestern Uni, places like that where you, you just stood back and you were in an, in an environment with a whole lot of people in different services, service offerings, different industries, 
but the core issues came back exactly the same. And for me, it's about not focusing, you know, or focusing only on those technical deliveries, which most people tend to do. It's more about saying, how can you just think like the client and put the arrow, we used to call it reversing the arrow. So you've got demand and supply. Supply wants to go like this. So in other words, in accounting firms, that's audit, tax, you know, competencies as as people would see it. That is going to give you the highest level of offering to the client. The client said, well, I don't want to deal with a tax guy one day and order bloke the next. Absolutely. So what you've got to do is reverse the arrow and organise supply being your services to the way in which demand wants to be dealt with. And that's a real challenge when most of the um, processes, the review, the accountability is on these supply lines. It's quite a struggle. But that's what we really worked to do. We had an integrated offering which was going so well at Deloitte, where we had audit, tax, and everything else in the same basket. So they were measured together, they lived together, did everything together. So their focus was on the client, not on whether our core competency of audit, tax, and whatever else. But it is a challenge. It's a, it's a lovely analogy, though, isn't it? Looking back from the arrow. Yeah. Uh, and then rearranging your business around the client. Well, that's mind-blowing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's hard because... Often the, the breakdown of how you measured performance and everything else is back into that competency. So what gets measured gets done. So people yeah. worry about that. So until you change that around and say, no, no, we're worried about the client, we're measuring everyone within us within a competency of, of looking after private clients together, whether you're doing audit tax or whatever, then you're not going to get that behaviour focusing on the client. And we used to pull the... We used to do P&Ls like for the total service line, which was integrated services. And then we'd pull them apart, look at tax and audit and see how they're really going underneath. And often they were just so similar, we just quickly put it back together and tell no one because we wanted to sort of focus on the client. And that, that was the, to me, that was the, the nature of it. That's funny. I, I, I remember years ago training, doing some training with 50 of uh, one of the top four banks in those days. Uh, they're private client advisors and we did our, our two-day course on you know total balance sheet and total client perspective and they all came out going scott we really loved this course it was so good but we're not allowed to do this yes well it, it puts us I in remember, with everybody with all our I remember, divisions. I remember sitting down with one of the professors at harvard and i was going through the strategy papers of what we'd actually implemented like 10 years before around the integrated offering and how we ran it and how the services worked and how the culture worked and how we emphasised value to the client. So we had the, you know, the graduates and people that were mid-level analysts, et cetera. We'd get them to talk about how they added value by finding opportunities for clients. Look at me and goes, are you really doing this? <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're doing it all the time. He goes, oh, I've, I've never seen anyone do it because you don't have that, that creation from the CEO down. You've got to really have support. So it was good. It was good fun. Uh, it explains a few things. Now, let, let's go back to Deloitte Partners again. You're a, you, you know, you're a partner, and I know that you've got this fantastic advisor called Leonard Janusa, uh, yes. who, who, I, who I love to death. Uh, he's a really great advisor, but I think he looks after about 50 Deloitte Partners around, you know, around the country. But I suppose the question to you is, or people listening are out there going, what? Vince has got an advisor or there's 50 Deloitte partners. We all assume that these people are 
smart enough to be able to look after their own affairs. But yeah. um, we, we know different, Vince. Give us, give us your take as a client, but also why these lawyers or accountants in these professional large firms need to learn a Janusa in their life. Um, yeah, I'd answer it two ways. Firstly, I'm a client of Lens, as you know, uh, and have been for the last, I don't know, dozen years at least since I've first known him. Um, and he does. He is a he is an advisor. He's not just someone who's going to deliver me a product or an offering. You might remember uh, back when I was involved with the wealth management piece within Deloitte, uh, which was in the late sort of thousands, two thousands. Um, I had a thing called a value map, which was about how you drive value to a client, and it spoke about the integration of the operational piece, that is the nuts and bolts of delivering client service through to the tactical level of focusing on both wealth creation and risk management for a client, through to what is your strategy, what's a client trying to achieve? And it's very similar to what you have said, and I don't know if people listening would have heard before about your 531 workout, what the longer goal is, and then come back as to the integration and the implementation of that. And I think Leonard does a fantastic job of that. He thinks beyond just the service element of the product or whatever you might be trying to do, and, and thinks about, well, what does the client really need? And clients that I've given Len now think of him as their core advisor, yep. not necessarily the accountants that he would act for. So, And he also looks after clients of mine who I still do the, to today outside Deloitte. So it's just that, that focus around the total, totality of the client. Um, let's just raise the question for me. Do you think uh, some accountants have a fear of referring over to an advisor because they may lose that primary relationship. Primary might be too strong a word, but that yeah, that, advisor there relationship. Is. Yeah, there's always, there's always that. The, the same thing applies between, let's say, lawyers and accountants. It's a yep. similar, but It can potentially be a similar issue. Um, I think it's in, imperative that whoever has the core relationship has to be, has to be, um, uh, given the the space to have that relationship, and say again, someone like Len, if I use him as my good reference, he would never take that space. Yep. So as long as it's open with the client, there are, two, there are two people involved. If there's a lawyer, third person involved, that they're going to work as a team, and they will share and 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 look at it from a different perspective, but bringing it together in an integrated way. I, I don't think it should be an issue. So I, rather than say I'd refer to anyone in the wealth management space. I refer to people who I know I can have that relationship. Mm, that's a great piece, that. Yeah, that's, that's the way I, I do it. Same with lawyers. I mean, I've worked with some terrible lawyers in terms of integration, and I've worked with some fantastic ones. Well, I know where my business goes, you know. That's a really good point. And yeah. then back to the Deloitte partners, if you know, can, for, the, for the listeners out there, can you explain the life of a Deloitte partner for us to understand the, uh, their dilemmas? Hectic. Hectic. Uh, look, the guys who would be listening would work long hours. Most professionals do, unless they have a lifestyle that mixes the two. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be like black and white about it, but most people in a professional environment are working long hours. I mean, I was working when I was on the exec, I'd be working 60, 70 hours a week. So you get half a day on Saturday and maybe summer Sunday as you break. Um, but but that would that be typical? A lot of them would be working fifty plus hours a week. 
And for me, um, a lot of that would be client service delivery. But in a firm like that, you're asked to do so many other things. As a partner, you, you sort of dragged into everything from risk management, HR, training, um, mentoring, some of which you would want to do anyway, I know, but you just dragged everywhere. So your time is very hard for you to manage yourself. You can't say, this is my diary and I'll, everyone else can leave it alone. People are throwing things in there all the time. You're asked for reporting all over the place, apart from core reporting. So your life is, is, is hard for you to control and, and that makes it a little bit frustrating because you just don't know where you're going to get sent and you get sent everywhere. So that, that to me is the hardest thing to manage as, as a Deloitte partner. But, there, I mean, there are lots of upsides, like anything. You could, you could yeah, for sure. And there's politics. As soon as you get two people, you get politics, right? You get, well, what is it now? They'd be up around the nine or 10,000 mark. You get politics, right? Yes. Always got that sort of thing playing out, which is not in, intrinsic to Deloitte. It's just when you get a whole lot of people. So I, I think that they're, they're the hard things that you, you have to deal with as well as put your head down and deliver to what you want. And then, Vincent, for those listening, I've, I've got sort of coming back to the, the, um, the point of this is that they're very, very time poor. So my experience of dealing with a, a lot of those guys with you was that the, financial, the only financial advice they had was at the coffee machine or passing one of their peers in the corridor saying, I should buy this particular fund on the way through. Yeah, a lot of it's very transactional or happenstance. There's no doubt. That's where I think if you stand back and look at it, the key thing is to get people engaged with what they're trying to achieve ultimately, right? Yeah. They don't have time to digest all of the detail that would make them active in that right now. So you've got to get them engaged with, well, what are you trying to achieve? When you when you want to get there, what sort of imagination do you have around how you get there and, and just start to work back with them to a point where they let you be transactional and help them to deliver. And, and that to me is the secret of well, whether it be a Deloitte partner who's just another private client potentially yep. or a business owner who's just so so much his head in the business and he's not worrying. He, he's, he's got it in the back of his head, but it's never in the front and helping them get it in the front and then Having them engage with you in a way in which they believe you will help them deliver to that—that's that—that intention they've got is really the trick. The hard points get in front of those guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes and no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. And getting them to bloody well do what they've got to do is <laughs> a challenge as well. But but you, you, there are ways and means. Of yeah, for sure. Being a little bit tongue in cheek, but the the other point is that you know, and it's always a great conversation because at some stage at those organisations, not just Lloyd, you get a tap on the shoulder. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, there's a tap at some stage anyway. Yeah, is in the you know the partners agreement. Yep. Around when you retire and. And what age is that typically? Pardon? What age is that typically? In, in the big firms, it varies quite a bit. In one or two of them, it's it's mid fifties. In something like Deloitte, it's early 60s. And they can creep up on you pretty quickly. You're flying through your 40s. Yep. You, you know, you've got all sorts of stuff. You've got, I built a house in, at that time and I was on national exec. I don't know how I did it. But you just got family. You've got, and you've got to have a great, you know, wife in my case to, to go with that. But, you know, you've got, you've got family. You've got 
a little bit of outside interest of your own. You've got work and your day or your life is just full. So you fly through those years and often if you if you don't have that right focus, money just disappears, right? It'll just go because you're not focused on what you're trying to achieve and there's no discipline there. Yep. So the earlier you get people to think about where they've got to go and then you chunk it back and say, well, these are the things you're going to have to do. Here's a list of, you know, what you can and you can't do. As I said to you, I've said to you before, you've got to work out what you're not going to do before you work out what you're going to do. And people don't think like that. So they'll wasting your time is not something you should do when you're at that age and that 40 to mid fifty range in you know professional even even in business people in, in business owners um, circumstances they're very fruitful years not only for success professionally but also for you to be able to accumulate the wealth to be able to as I you might remember um, when I was doing this in Deloitte at one stage I was sending out these one liner emails I knew that if I was going to engage people there's no point in sending them out an email with a one word heading. And then a whole lot of stuff which would make <laughs> we'll just never get there. Never going to get there, right? So I used to send out these emails with captions, right? Uh, and I cleared this through the exec to make sure that it wasn't going to absolutely be the end of me. But I sent out one, and the heading on the email was, "When will you be able to say get stuffed?" <laughs> that was the that was the heading, right? And I, and I had a reply button. I, I sat there and my screen just pulled. <laughs> it just went bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, bang, perfect. Bang. I had over 100 replies in an hour. Yep. Wanting to know, and it's more detail on email, but that was, yeah. what I meant by that is when are you going to be able to make independent choices for yourself around what you want to do in life? For some people, you know, um, Harry Triggerboff, it's working till, I don't know if he's 90 yet, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's, and I, I have heard anecdotally that he doesn't necessarily have other interests. It's his work. And I've spoken to other, you know, people who, who have billions. Apart from family, they don't, they don't want to bowl or go and play golf. So they're independent because they've chosen to do that. But a lot of people are just on a treadmill and they can't get off they it. can't get off it. That's perfect. And, and so being able to say, I, I, I'm going to transition or do what I want to do, is really the key. And this, the more you get people to think of that factor as to what is the process or the, or the time frame or the implementation to get to that point, until you get them to engage with that emotionally and, and, and cognitively, then you're not going to get them to make all these decisions or do all these things or bounce meetings on you and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to steal the hell out of that, Vince, that line. Which one? About- about when are you going to be able to tell them to get stuffed? <laughs> now, now, listen, just a couple of quick points. Um, corporate coaching, you've always had coaching in your life. You had Dr. James Taylor in there for a while. Yeah. And he was very good for you in terms of... He was fantastic. Who, who he, was the guy, he was the guy who used to say to me, he'd look at my list every fortnight, you know, what he got on, what he'd done, and say, it doesn't look much different. You cross three things off out of, you know, 20 and they were down the list a bit. So, you know, you haven't actually moved up your list at all. And you say, Vince, when are you going to work out what you're not going to do and prioritise that ahead of what you're going to do? Because you don't seem to do anything but add things to your list. You're not going to run faster by adding more bricks to your backpack. Think about what you're not going to do. And it changed my mindset. Love it. I would say I'm not going to rush over and do that because I'm very 
like a lot of people, I think I've got a relative level of ADD. So you, you know, you you think of you think of what you really need to do, then something comes up which you can deal with. You think quickly, or it's oh, you know, I really want to do that. Yep. So your list never really gets dealt with properly. So he was fantastic giving me a structure of how I thought, not not so much the detail. He didn't help me with that. No, I love that. And Vince, I still quote you today. That I'm not sure where you stole the quote from, but I love it that. You know, I see a lot of professionals out there who want to get it 100% correct. And your line that stuck with me was just get it 70% right and then do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a good plan well implemented is going to probably kill a perfect plan in a draw. Yeah. And, and I got, we, we had a fantastic, in terms of, you know, making you think laterally, CEO, um, who was uh, an American who came over and ran the firm for about half a dozen years. And he used to, used to say to me when we'd be, he'd be looking at performance of the group and he, he'd say to me, Vince, he'd say, uh, do you have Christmas every year? <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, how come you can't plan for your results around Christmas? <laughs> because we always just... We were always used to just putting it down the pad and going one fourth of the year is one. Yeah. Yep. So he made me think about the fact that just get it right to a point where it worked and, and don't cogitate, don't pretty it up, don't varnish it or burnish it, I should say. It, you know, you've got to make sure it, it, it's going to be implementable. And, and that's the same with wealth management. Don't try and get your client to do everything. Just get them to think about the important things. Another one of those messages I used to send out uh, is had a heading something like um, you insure your car and your house for full value but not yourself. Obviously, you're worthless. You know? <laughs> and, and that was, again, and, and I got a really good response to that because people think of, oh, shit, you know, the car insurance, got to make sure that's done. Yep. But then they don't think of what their value is when they insure themselves. They think of, oh, I've got $250,000 worth of life cover. Yep. How far is that going to go? Yeah. You know, so it's it's how you actually get people to think about what's important and relevant. And, yeah, that that to me was um, the essence of the way in which you engage people. So, Vince, you know, if there was a, a young Vince Fitzsimons out there listening at the moment, you know, 25, 30-year-old, <laughs> what advice would you be giving him? What do you think has held you in good stead in your professional career? What's it, What's one or two points that? Um, I, I, I guess I can only reflect on it in terms of what people see have said they see in me. I, I think you can be a bit introverted thinking what's important through your eyes. It's well, what do people reflect back to me, which has been important to me. And I, I think it really comes down to that reversing the arrow. I, I try and think that, excuse me, all the time. And it, it leads me to say, well, what? What is the problem that we've got to solve here and how do I pe help people engage that we solve that problem? So, in other words, um, when, I'd be, when I'd be with a client, I'd be thinking, oh, bloody hell, this is a complex issue in terms of tax or whatever it might be. How am I going to get the client to understand really what the issues are? So I would spend – I would. Think sitting there thinking it's got to come in this side for me, technically. It's got to go out this side to the client in a way in which the client will engage with it. So I would do simple things like I would draw diagrams, flowcharts, or I'd just sit there and, and, and appear to doodle 
and the client would be following that because it would make sense to them. So it's this reversing the arrow piece, which I think is fundamental. Uh, I guess I've always been someone that people have seen as, you know, fairly interested and energetic and, and someone that will worry about delivering to promises. And I think that's really important. Once people get the idea that you'll deliver to promise and you can distill that complexity to deliver it to them in a way they feel comfortable, they remember your key points, Often they would say, oh, do you mind if I photo, can I have a copy of that yeah. A yeah. stick diagram? They go, yeah, no worries. And they would walk off with that and that would be enough to, for them to know what was going to happen. I had to go and deal with all the complexity, of course, which is my job, but it would get them to engage. So, so they're the types of things that I would say to a young person. Don't, don't worry about the politics. If you're any good at what you do, you'll, you'll make your way, whether it be in that organisation or somewhere else, you'll make your way. And I must admit, people I've seen leave Deloitte because they weren't sort of a culture fit in the sense whether they didn't like that or Deloitte didn't like them doesn't really matter. Yep. They've been highly successful because they had those essential ingredients. That's perfect, mate. I'm, we're going to wrap this up in a sec, but, you know, as a summary, what I, I really love this arrow concept. <laughs> well, yeah, I, think, right. I think, you know, when I look, look back on, on the relationship I've had with you, I think you've always taken that, you know, sitting in the client seat point of view. We nearly got you to be an advisor at one stage. We tried to get yeah. you over to the dark side and I'm still going to no. work on you. What's the, <laughs> what's the future hold for you? Uh, well, three years out of retirement, oh, three years out of Deloitte, the so-called retirement, I still, when I told a bunch of clients I was going, they said, well, so are we. Uh, we'll work with, we'd rather work with you, you're out, you're, as they would use, advisor or accountant. Yep. I've kept those relationships and they've been, they've continued to be very strong and and I, I guess they're the types of things I like doing. So um, I'm happy not to be doing the 60 or 70 hours a week. Yep. Great. Uh, your life seems to fill up. I don't know how you find them. Things I'm doing, as you know, I've got a daughter now living in the US who's doing very well over there. Actually, I was on a Zoom call with her accountants in New York this morning. She's probably been my biggest client in the last year or so with the transition to the US. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, my life's fairly full, but I, I just love uh, working with people and sorting through it. You, you kind of have a, a mind's eye, and that's another thing I'd say. You've got to have your mind's eye. You know, what, what, what can you do to help this person? And I love that, Vince. Jump at that. it, just work it up. And lastly, the most important question of the whole trip, is uh, how's St George Rugby League team going to go this season? Uh, I've I've got some serious money on them getting to the top eight. So I'm going <laughs> to say top, top eight. Top, top eight, half of the, the competition, right? If they can get in the top half. You are a tragic. I've Sorry? Got, you are a tragic. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a family thing and uh, we've had lots of wonderful contacts through it. And, yeah, it's just something which brings us together and, uh, as you know, we lost our older daughter almost well, 10 years ago this year. Yep. And through her char charity and the coupling with uh, the NRL and also with the dance community, it's given us meaning in our lives. So the footy's still a big part of that. It was with Nicole as well. Just explain the charity. Well, let's take the moment, Vince, the charity. Yeah, well, when, when we lost Nicole in 2012, yep. she... She was a wonderful ballerina and, and dancer. She had a career doing that if she wished. Uh, she went to New Zealand School of Ballet, 
went to London, et cetera, dancing. So she had a wonderful career set up, but she decided it was too restrictive and she wanted to be a, a sports journalist. So she got a, a fantastic role in 2012 working on the footy show. Yep. Uh, her knowledge of rugby league was amazing. So they were going to promote her as they have a number of women onto that. She went to Thailand and unfortunately was was uh, killed by a maniac on a bike. And uh, so we we lost. I still remember the phone call. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you know, our phone call was 3 a.m. in the morning. Yes. It's just yeah. unbelievable. So we, uh, people, she, she was so well known at her memorial, which you were at, we had, what, 3,000-odd people at Global yep. and 700 websites around the world were linked into it. And we decided there that we had to have something that reflected Nicole into the future to help people. She was very... Um, very grateful of the support we gave her in her in her life. So we have, we established the foundation firstly to help people who through sport and performing art are improving their lives. And then Kate, our daughter, who's now living in the US and engaged to a, a gentleman in the Air Force over there, she decided that we had to do something about the fact that we were losing an Australian in Thailand every three days. No one knew about it. There's a lot of people know locally. So she set up a program and taught about quarter million kids, uh, high school kids, about the risk of travelling overseas. And then at the same time on that, uh, on the grant giving, we just continued to raise funds and support people. So we've helped people. We, uh, a gentleman who went to the um, uh, the, uh, the Olympics who was a blind and deaf triathlete, we helped him. We just recently actually helped a number of kids in Lismore who lost their dance schools and their parents have no money, so we're paying their dance fees. Oh, fantastic through sport and performing art or overcoming adversity and keeps our, our girl in the middle of our lives. And Absolutely. Yes, mate. She's still there and that's a, Absolutely. Such a huge legacy piece for you and everybody, you know, surrounding your family. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, Julie, my wife, was even working on it uh, today. So, uh, you know, we. I'm doing it. You may recall, excuse me for a moment, we had golf days and here's the... Uh, the yes. right, you can see that there's Nicole's... Yep motive on there that was from the golf day that you were at at um uh you were at the lakes when we had a golf day weren't you? yeah we had a great day yeah 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 so, so the, the the foundation's still going absolutely yeah kate on the travel side obviously without travel it's fallen away kate does a little bit of it yeah but on the other side she's just built a career helping kids with resilience and you know we had so many kids come up to her and say how could you do this when you lost your sister yeah my life, you know, is out of control, which a lot of young people are. You know, I was thinking, I've seen the post, kids saying, I was seriously considering suicide because through social media it becomes a platform where you can go out as, you know, a hero, life is too hard. Yeah. He's been helping kids uh, or focuses now on kids, you know, the young adults and, and teens yep. through, their, through their lives and, and she's got a very strong practice in that. Well, mate, that's a great testimony to you and your family, buddy. You know, that's... The gold there is at the end of that. That's that's just brilliant that we got to talk about that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very much part of our lives. It is, mate. Vince Fitzsimons, thank you a lot, buddy. We'll speak thank you. Soon. It's great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the GAF podcast. We're all about empowering advisors. We think making great advisors is great for the community. Just to be clear, this is not personal advice. You need personal advice. Seek a qualified professional. Thanks for listening.